Thank you for listening to Knocking Doors Down, brought to you by KDD Media Company. Addiction can happen to anyone. I gave birth to my youngest in 2013. And when I gave birth to her, they botched my spinal tap and put me on morphine in the hospital. From there, they sent me home on a couple prescription medications. And that is when the act of addiction, then it came to me buying the prescriptions off the street and also being suicidal. So then it was like, something's not right. Like I'm, I'm losing myself. I'm losing all of me. This is Knocking Doors Down. My name is Jason Lachance. I've got a background of alcoholism, some childhood trauma, and uh, divorce, some other issues as well. But hey, I've taken all that as uh, life lessons, turned it into doing positive things like this podcast with my co-host, Mike Naraki. How are you, good sir? What's going on, people? Well, thank you for listening to Knocking Doors Down. If you have yet to subscribe, please do so on the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcast, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app. We're also on Stitcher and now on Amazon Music, which is great for all your Alexa devices. Or, of course, go to kddmediacompany.com slash podcast. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star rating and tell a friend. That's how the word spreads. Mikey. Jason. This week, Miss Leah Messer. Leah Messer, my favorite teen mom. That's right. She is from Teen Mom and a a real sweetheart of a lady and a heck of a duet with Mikey as well. Yeah, I sang with her. Have you? I have. (laughs) But we get into her stories really interesting, not only from being a teen mom, of course, and and that is such a a challenging thing uh, because parenthood's challenging at any time, but let alone when you're just uh, entering into adulthood. Not to mention all these cameras shoved in your face. You know what I mean? So it's already hard as hell but now doing it with half the world watching. Exactly. So you got to give your hats off to her and the whole cast of the Teen Mom and all that. Yeah, any of those shows, there's you know, a lot of judgment that she was faced with. And we also get into uh, her pill addiction mm-hmm. and how that came about. It's really a situation of another thing that reminds me of a past episode like Luke Wallet where taking it as prescribed mm-hmm. and then it sure as heck you just get hooked on these things and it's um it's it's good to hear and she does get into a little more on how she got off of it and, and the support that she had which is so important for anyone mm-hmm. there's any re- type of recovery in any sort of way be it a, a health issue a mental health issue a, or an addiction so definitely uh, enjoy this one make sure you pass it along to friends mike anything else before we get into it let's do it I am so excited. We are joined by the lovely Leah Messer, of course, of uh, Teen Mom 2, and uh, it's so good to see you. You look gorgeous today, by the way. We knew you got prepped for the interview. We were like, we were so flattered that you went out <laughs> and got, got done up. You were getting your eyebrows done and all that stuff. So. Yes. Oh. Thank we- you, guys. Thank you, guys. It's an honor. Honor. I'm excited to be here, share my story with you guys, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, hell yeah. We're looking forward to it. So let's talk a little bit about, of course, people know from the show um, that you've gone through uh, prescription pills was was your area of addiction. But I don't mm-hmm. I don't know where where that that started, because it seems to start in such a different place. Do you have a family history of addiction or was it? I do. OK. My dad is actively in addiction, currently prescription addiction. So I, I do have a family line of addiction. I didn't really realize. I mean, I was against it my whole childhood. Like I was just very angry and um, resentful towards my dad for leaving at such a young age. And I didn't quite understand until I found myself in the same situation. 
you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I know all too well because as we were talking prior to recording, I, you know, my father went to two. I was the kid in high school that didn't drink at the parties, didn't do drugs, got got the got the drunk people yep. home and all that stuff. And it was like, no way that's going to happen to me. And then, you know, how did you find yourself falling into it since you were so anti, you know, drugs and everything else? Addiction can happen to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave birth to my youngest Mm -hmm. in 2013 and when i gave birth to her they put me on morphine in the hospital they botched my spinal tap and put me on morphine in the hospital um from there they sent me home on a couple prescription medications and that is when the act of addiction came and then then it became then it came to me buying the prescriptions off the street and also being suicidal so then it was like Something's not right. Like I'm, I'm losing myself. I'm losing all of me. Yeah. And does that surprise you so much that, that you saw so much of it with your dad and what, what it led him to that, that you would fall into it? Or do you think that when they talk about addiction as a disease, that sometimes some of this stuff is just so hereditary and it it could hit, you know? Yeah. I didn't, I, I didn't, ex- I, th- I thought I could avoid it. You know, I didn't feel my body becoming dependent on the medication that I was taking at the time, mm-hmm. you know, a- until it was too late and I became suicidal yeah. uh, and, and I was buying it off the streets. I was doing very illegal, um, activities and yeah. it, it just, it was a spiral downhill from there. Yeah. Now with your bot, it was the epidural. Is that what it was? The botched epidural? Yeah. They injected me. 50, it was up to 50. In between 13 and 15 times. Okay. Oh my gosh. So did they yeah. told you that it was botched? Did you just not like? Did they say, "Oh, I had we spinal missed... fluid"? Sorry. No. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I had spinal fluid leaking, and they they even tried to do a um, what is it called? Oh, my mind went blank. I apologize. Uh, they tried to do a blood patch, blood mm-hmm. patch, where they took blood uh, from an IV, um, my arm, and put it in my spine. And that did not help. And by that point, I was like, I want out of the hospital. Yeah. I want out of here. Um, I didn't feel like I was protected. I didn't feel like I was safe. And I became afraid of doctors. Yeah. And yeah. I'm still, even to this day, I'm working. We're supposed to be able to put our trust in them. And I did, but I, I, there was, I had no direction, even with the medication afterwards. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, that's... and then I was terrified. You know, I was like... Yeah, that's one of the plights that we heard. We had a gentleman that that he fell into heroin from prescription medication because he got injured in sports and he kind of had none of that. And he was following the rules. Mm -hmm. He was following the prescription. He was taking it as prescribed. And that's, yeah, that's how we got hooked on it. And that eventually led to to heroin. I I actually tried heroin once and I I didn't, I I haven't got to that part of my, my, well, my book is, it was mostly childhood trauma Mm -hmm. memoir, but I did. And I, I, my personal experience, I didn't feel anything from it. I think it was a divine intervention. Yeah, um, thank God. And, and I, I just stayed on the, it, it was when you can't find pain medication, there was the heroin, a cheaper, easier form. And I actually was with my dad when I done it. Oh my goodness. So, yeah. so speaking of your book, what is the title of the book? Uh, Hope, Grace and Faith. I wrote a memoir of my childhood and just what really propelled me to make the decisions that I did as a young adult getting pregnant at 17 uh, and, and then all of the obstacles and challenges that came after that. Yeah. 
And I would imagine for you, the obstacles and challenges are multiplied by a hundred because you were being, you were on TV with all of this. Like this was all yes. documented. Public. So aside, yeah, aside from being a mother at that age, you were a mother and in the eye of everybody. Everybody's watching you, judging your every move. Like I can't even imagine the amount of pressure that put on you and every other person that was on that show as well. And it definitely did. That's when it became like an image thing. And mm -hmm. I, I felt ashamed, mm -hmm. felt very ashamed. There's such a stigma against addiction. And it's so sad because again, it can happen to li literally anyone. Yeah. Um, and, and the the best, the best people, you know, yeah. um, I, I just didn't expect it, you know? Well, what are some of those early traumas in addition to, to your dad's uh, addiction that you think led to you having, uh, becoming a parent at an early age? Uh, so my mom didn't have much direction herself. And although we are in a great place, she was a single mother trying to navigate motherhood at a young age as well uh -huh. and work multiple jobs. Many different people had to watch me and I, I, I would be sexually abused. And it, even after that, my mom, it was like she tried to live through me during my teenage years. Mm -hmm. And it became like there, there was some things that just wasn't wasn't necessarily what a parent figure would do. Right. Um, and, and yeah, just a lot of physical, sexual, mental abuse and you know, all in all trauma Yeah, that led me. I mean, I didn't have a great direction. Like this is, you know, even talking about birth control <laughs> that was never mentioned or, or, yeah. or, you know, puberty, that stuff like that wasn't communicated, communicated to me. Yeah. And I found myself being codependent in one relationship after the other, looking for love in all of the wrong places. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can relate to uh, pretty much everything that you're saying right there all mm -hmm. all too well. I, I had a feeling that was kind of the door your, or avenue you're going to go down. And, you know, and it's such an alarming statistic at the rate at which, um, you know, teenagers start to use. We had a gentleman on who said the statistic, it was somewhere in the low 90 percentile of, of teenagers that are abusing uh, substances. There's like 92 percent have had some sort of sexual trauma at some point. And it's such an alarming wow. rate too. And that's a hard thing because having gone through it myself, uh, I felt so ashamed. And you know, mm -hmm. what was the reconciling for you on that of knowing you just didn't have the defense mechanisms and didn't know because you weren't protected as a child? Honestly, the turning point for me was when I went to the treatment facility in Arizona. It was that, it was the foundation I needed as a young girl, yeah. little girl. Um, it, the therapy, it was amazing. I went to CR Tucson in Arizona. Oh my gosh. It was just it went incredible. I had time to reflect. I had time to write, um, and, and really work through all of that. There was, I tucked so much, so deep within myself and wouldn't talk about it. I wouldn't, uh, and I was in the, again, I was in the public eye and it was yeah. like, I had to keep up with this persona or this mm -hmm. image. And I had, I had to let all of that go. Yeah. That's really strong of you to know what, and it makes me wonder when, when you're in that kind of a situation, was there any sort of a, a struggle with the producers and, and things like that? Or was it that they realized that, that, Hey, you could not be here anymore and you needed to get help. The executives, uh, Larry specifically was the biggest support system I had. Um, oh, awesome. I was in a really, I know I was in a really, really tough, custody battle and being able to own 
that I was struggling with addiction was impossible. I was being care follicle drug tested. I was going to get my, you know, I, I was going to lose custody of my children. And that was even more shameful for me. I was like, that that's my entire world. If I lose them, I don't have anything to like, I, I felt like I didn't have anything to live for. Mm-hmm. And the executive producer was like, Leah, the best thing for them is for you to go to the treatment facility and get the help that you need and, and deserve. Mm-hmm. And that, that was the support system I had. And, and they took me there and I was like, all right, this is it. Yeah. Well, I, and I, you seem now, and it's so great to see, because, you know, a, a lot of our mission is, is getting rid of the stigma and that, that shame factor that people put on us. And mm-hmm. you seem so rewarded now by having been able to go through it and, and share that fact with people. It is so rewarding to own it and just accept, you know, accept who I am and all of who I am and all the obstacles that made me who I am today. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, it's, it's almost, uh, it's so cathartic. It's, it's relieving. It's just, I don't know. It's exceptional. I don't know. I don't even know what to say. Uh, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. No, I understand. So what were some of the great things that when you did go into rehab, kind of, can you walk us through it? I mean, you know, a lot of our listeners may not know or have an understanding of the process of when you come in, the, um, you know, the detoxing period, and then those periods of kind mm-hmm. of rebuilding yourself or, you know, or building yourself, really. It's not even a rebuild. It's building a new yeah, the facility in Arizona was, I mean, it was set up so, so great. Uh, you you went in and you talked to an admissions, um, some, someone in admissions, and then they took you, checked all your belongings and things like that to make sure you're not bringing anything in. Minimize, listen, I came, I brought so much stuff. I probably, <laughs> they just like kept throwing it out. I was like, oh gosh, I was not a minimal, minimalist at that time. Yeah. Um, and they just kept throwing, well, I'm telling you guys, I probably had five things of shaving cream, five razors, <laughs> 10 bottles of shampoo, ridiculous. Um, and then they took me into, it was kind of like a triage uh, where you did, you went through a detox. Hmm. Uh, probably that, that is the scariest part for, for anyone that is actively in addiction. It was for me, um, just speaking for my, uh, knowing what's to come, I think, it was scary and detoxing. And then from there, you kind of had dorms set up. Um, and you go, I, I, they took me to my dorm. They had, uh, I, I did have someone with me in the same room, not on the same a track that I was on, but there was also multiple tracks. And I feel like someone going to a treatment facility, the stigma, even against that thinking, Oh, like it's just solely for this, or this person's struggling or, or yeah just like the stigma against it it's like no like some people were just there to take two weeks to themselves to to, to rediscover you know they, they just needed that break yeah. um there was equine therapy there was uh massage therapy you got group therapy you had 12 step all of this there and it was just I, I don't know it gave me that foundation it gave me that routine i was up every morning at 5 a.m doing my laundry something i've never done before <laughs> mind you, and i've carried that on through my life yeah or, or in my life now Jeez, you and i had completely different rehabs leah I gotta tell you. <laughs> well in west virginia we need exactly in west Virginia, we need better treatment facilities that I went to. Uh-huh. And from my personal experience, I'm going to do whatever I have to, to make sure that we have that. Cause we have an That's opioid awesome. crisis here. Yeah. And I, I, I'm seeing so many people OD even the past month in this pandemic. It's mm-hmm. devastating people that I know and have went to school with. 
uh, just, just struggling alone. Yeah. And I, and it's, it's heartbreaking. Well, and I, it's, give me your opinion on this. I think a lot of the relapse is because uh, addiction is the opposite of connectivity. And so mm-hmm. when we have a situation like this and we become disconnected from our positive this. groups, it is easy for people to falter, you know, and no judgment yeah. on it, but it is a sad situation. Yeah, you, f- you feel alone. Yeah. And yeah. then you don't have your groups or anything like that. I mean, they're, I know they're trying to do virtual groups, but you need, I, I just, you want that personal interaction, people that relate, people that understand and, and that connection. And we're definitely missing that during the pandemic. Yeah. Well, That's how you? Matt was saying too. He's like, I'm a hugger, man. When we do these meetings and talk, yes. I want to say, what's up, brother? Give him a hug and whatnot. Yeah. I can't do that now. Yeah. <laughs> so 90 days, you're awesome. Come here, yeah. bring it in. Instead, and, it's know. just like yeah. high five in front of the camera. High five. Uh, Darn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so how are you managing it uh, with the kids? Of course, uh, you know, for folks that don't know, one of your children has muscular dystrophy. And so how are you managing as a parent right now during all this time, as well as continuing your, your path of sobriety? Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. So I, I do virtual therapy sessions. I do I meditate, yoga, anything that keeps me in alignment, anything that brings me joy, even if that is virtually keeping me in a good headspace and I need that. I don't know about you guys, but I need that. This <laughs> e-learning and virtual stuff is like, whew. I was like rushing here, <laughs> rushing to get to, you know, get to this podcast and then taking state tests during a pandemic when you were e-learning and have all, I'm like, stop it. I can't. <laughs> this is crazy. Uh, yeah, we got to put some of that stuff on hold right now. Let's focus on the education right? as opposed to just the test. But, um, so when you found out that, that, you had a child that was going to have special needs. How did you, how did you process that? And I asked because my son has Asperger's and I kind of remember when I first accepted that fact, which obviously a very much different situation than yourself. Yeah. Um, and so it was, I mean, I was devastated initially just because I didn't know what to expect. And it honestly, it took us four years to even discover a diagnosis for her. She has, yeah, a really rare form of muscular dystrophy. It's actually Titan mutation. Um, And when she was diagnosed, there was only like, she was the only child of eight adults worldwide that had this type. So she is the study. She is the research. And as we go I mean, we know, you know, somewhat what muscular dystrophy does and it's, you know, you lose muscle mass um, and and it's a progressive disease. So we know that that we somewhat what to expect, but with hers in general, it's a little different. It's rare and we don't, it's, she's the study, you know? Wow. I couldn't, couldn't. I remember watching her too. She's so sweet. All your uh, girls are, but yeah, I remember seeing her on TV and stuff. Too. I'm just like, aw. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. She's so she is so sweet, so sweet. So and determined that motivation. She yeah. gets that from her mama. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's a good thing, right? <laughs> yes. So how did really the process of of teen mom come about? I mean, you know, it sounds like. Life is at that point prior to it, pretty much in, in uh, pretty disheveled. You've obviously the traumas that you shared, you've gone through. Dad is gone, mm-hmm. his addiction. Mom, obviously not, you know, present, but not really parent present, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So, how does a situation like this even c- come about? 
actually my mom my mom signed me up for the show <laughs> i thought it was a big scam i thought it was a joke i'm like yeah i'm gonna be on tv okay because i'm pregnant Ooh, you know what i mean mm-hmm. <laughs> um because it really and- is kind of a crazy idea right <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. I was just like, what? And then I was getting my nails done, and a producer, uh, Dn Morgan, called, and they were like, "Yeah, like we want you on our show." I'm actually from Clarksburg, and this and that. And I'm like, "Oh no, this is real. Like they really want me to be on the show." Um, and when they said five thousand dollars, I was like, "Okay, like <laughs> homegirl ain't got any money. <laughs> I'm jumping on this five thousand dollars. Let's do this shit. You know? Uh, <laughs> yeah." So that's, I mean, that's initially what I was, that's how it started. And of that's course, kind yeah. of anyone's mindset at 17, right? I feel yeah. like. Yeah. Oh, $5,000 at 17. Hell you yeah. You are rolling in the dough at that yeah. point. A new car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the price is right. A new car. Come on down, little master. You just won. Uh, so was there, like, it, did they have a kind of a casting process for you? Or was it pretty much, hey, we, we know your story and you're it. We did an at-home video uh, when they did reach out to me personally. Uh, we did a home video, or no, it was right before that. We did the home video, and that my mom had mentioned to me to submit to to them, and it was me and the twins' dad. Mm-hmm. And then they called, and that was lit- that was it. That was it for an hour show of being pregnant. How did the twins' dad feel about it when you first told him? He was game. He was like, let's go. Let's yeah, do this. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And then. Damn, that's dope. <laughs> you just get a call. Yeah, like, hey, check it out. His family was definitely. Yeah. His family was definitely more like, I don't know, like level headed. They were like, what are you, you really need to think about this? He did, he just had a lot of structure sure, in, his, sure. in his childhood and home life. Yeah. Right. Right. So what once everything started what were the overwhelming things that maybe you didn't expect or think out prior to it? Or was it once kind of it aired and then you got recognition that then it, some of the pressures started to mount? At first, I definitely thought the you know, having the cameras around were cool and preventing teen preg- pregnancy. I, I just have that heart. Like, I want to make a difference. I want to use my platform to, to, to make that difference. And although it didn't quite make sense when I was 17, it, it does now. Sure. Um, yeah, it, it was definitely the opposite of glamorizing teen pregnancy. And honestly, when my 16 and pregnant aired, I was, I cried. I stayed up all night crying. I'm getting all of this feedback from so many people. They're seeing me go back to a relationship with someone that's not my children's father mm-hmm. that I had dated for four years in high, three years in high school, right before meeting, you know, the my children's father now. And I, I have everyone judging me. I just didn't expect expect that you know I, I didn't expect the the feedback and the um the comments and the engagement i just did not only thing hard. that was going through your head was five g's in a tv show but not to realize all the shit that would come with it <laughs> you know what i mean like exactly. all these people judging and whatnot yeah that would be really hard at such a young age to deal with all that because i'm sure there was a lot of haters and you know sure there mm-hmm. was people like oh that's awesome that's good they're bringing awareness to it but you know yes. when you're on a tv show or something like that and you blow up and you're more popular i'm sure that you know all the haters and all that crap just come rolling in definitely does it definitely does and i didn't i didn't know what to expect yeah. but listen I've, I've, 
I've taken it and made the best of it. Yeah. Well, and it's just, it's a challenging thing for anyone to navigate, especially in our social media culture. Um, what were, did you face any real just negative outlash through social media and how do you navigate that? Cause I think that's an important thing to share, especially with the youth now mm-hmm. that seem to be great, more greatly affected by it. You see when the, when the show started, that's when social media really started hitting, like taking off, mm-hmm. um, around that time. And now, now I just, I kind of don't read the comments. I, I use it. I use my platform to, to really make a difference. And, and the comments, it's nice to see positive comments. And most of the time I just kind of scroll past the negative comments. I feel like the negative comments, if we feed into that, it, that, that's what energy picks up the most, you know, like we really hone in on that negative comment versus the 500 positive comment. Right. And it's just like, I I don't even give it my time, my energy, my attention. Cause I, I know, I know who I am. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing with my platform. And I know, you know, you know what I want to continue to do. And it doesn't like your, I guess, hate or judgments or criticism. It doesn't, I I don't let it resonate. I don't let it sit with me. It just doesn't, but it takes, it takes, it takes some work to get to that place also because we, you know, I don't know. It's hard sometimes. It, it, It really is. I mean, it's on a personal level or with what we do professionally and, um, have you ever had a situation where you have read a negative comment and like direct message to a person and just asked them, Hey, what's going on with you? Why, why, why do you think getting my attention has to come through negativity? Listen, I, you can say anything you want about me. I can handle it. I'm a big girl. I got this. But when you say something about my children, Ooh. that's when mama bear comes out. Hell like, yeah. hold on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My daughter uh, Allie, the sweetest child, most determined child in the entire world is meant to be on this earth. And for her to ever, for, for there to ever be comments posted, I was trying to find IP addresses. I, was, I mean, <laughs> not even I'm, playing. Like, this yeah, shit is going like, down is, now. Yeah. You don't, th- I mean, they definitely said some really, and they still do sometimes, like she should have been imported or she shouldn't be here or, or, or in front of the way she walks. Or t- it's very sad. I, I was just talking about this the other day. I was like, who? And there were, I mean, who does that? Who gets behind? I get that they're behind a computer screen so they can hide. Mm-hmm. But who comments stuff like that yeah. about a child? Yeah, Miserable people. That's who. Like, we'll get some and Jason will, you know, want to reach out. And I'm like, dude, just fuck. No, <laughs> fuck that. Yeah, Don't even respond to his shit. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I'll yeah. do it, but I'll do it for my personal account. What's his name? <laughs> Because I don't want to, I don't want to reach out to lash out to him. I want to ask, like, what, what you know, sir? Because it's usually men. Very rarely is it ever women. At least in our scenario, what, what, with what we do, uh, you know, what is going on in your world that that this is the kind of attention that you're wanting from us, or what are we doing so much that you feel that you are in such a p- position to be so judgmental? And it, and it, to me, it just makes no sense and i couldn't imagine it on the level that you what you're doing you know with team mom and the, the you know pregnant yeah, and that's the thing and, us women's got to support each other too i mean i get that you guys got to support each other but us women like let's not hate on each other we need each other more than anything for sure. you know mm-hmm. let's lift each other up and social media makes it so hard you see all of these photos that are extremely edited ex- all of these crazy presets 
and it puts this fake uh, and then people think they got to keep up with it yeah and and i don't we just need support we all do all of us women yeah. No, and it's very true. And as a, you know, father to a daughter, it's, uh, you know, it's one of my biggest concerns in life as it moves forward. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I want her to be strong. I want her to be independent. I want her to find her own, own identity. And, uh, you know, yes. I don't want her to try to gauge that happiness based upon the, what we present mm-hmm. on social media. Very rarely is someone going to go, I am having a shit day. Here's a photo. Haven't brushed my teeth or my hair. It's not going to happen. Yeah, you don't post bad pictures yeah. of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> the whole social media thing in general. Is, I've actually considered deleting it, especially with everything going on. You know, some it's not all bad, but it's there's so many opinions and so divided and that causes so much more drama and all that. And that's people like me and Jason who are not in the public eye like you, you know what I mean? So I can't imagine the kind of stuff you get because like he said, he was like, hey, you know, what's going on? You know, when somebody sends him a negative DM, fuck that, I'm not like that. I wanna be like, fuck you too, dude. You know what I mean? So he's yin and yang, but we we keep each other balanced. So that's why, but yeah, no, I can't imagine, you know, the stuff that you feel or hear and whatnot and read on the comments. So I would imagine it'd probably be best to just not read them. Yeah, most most of the time that's what I do. I like to and you know interact with my, the audience, my fans, followers. Sure, yeah. But sometimes it's it's not like that because I, I don't want to go in there and read that I look like shit today. <laughs> yeah. I got, I'm, I'm glad you think that. I really don't care. Right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I don't want to read that negative negative any negative comment. Yeah. It's not, it's not worth my energy. It's not worth my time. I got better things to do. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Mom of three, you got a lot more better things to do. Yeah. <laughs> That's all oh, I was going to tell you with your daughter. Yes. Screen time, monitoring the screen time. I have been doing so much research on that because I'm so afraid like with the virtual and e-learning mm-hmm. that they're on their screens constantly or on, you know, texting their dad. That's that's fine. But just constantly on that. So I, I personally have been doing my research on monitoring that and putting a timer on it. I don't know if your little girl has electronics, but it's huge with our kids now to monitor that. Oh, yeah, they they both do. And my son, he's, uh, um, you know, like I said, with Asperger's, he's incredibly tech savvy and switched on. So he is on constantly. But granted, he's uh, different than most 12 year olds. He's not doing mm-hmm. Fortnite or anything else. He's uh, reading on world history or Elon Musk okay. or Nikola Tesla. So, you know, but it is a huge challenge during this time, you know, especially being working parents. I can only imagine that your schedule is insane. Yes, it is. And you guys are still filming, right? You guys are, that's going on right now. Yeah. So you're scheduled, you're probably all over the place. Well, and this is the thing I have to COVID test every other day. Oh my God. COVID test every, yes, COVID test every other day. And they're here until the season is wrapped. And, if, you know, if another season gets greenlit, then they're back and they're here, like straight here. We're quarantined, can't go out, like nothing. We're in the house until filming is complete. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely been a lot different. We have to fill out paperwork before each time we're filming. Everyone wow. wears masks around everyone. And I, I do want to hug my crew. Mm-hmm. I love my crew, uh, my producer, uh, all of them, everyone that comes. And I'm just like, oh, I want to hug. And we're like, no, we got to have. Mask on, we have to stay six feet away somewhat. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's a lot different. It has been, I mean, it's been a challenge, but we've made it happen. I'm excited to see what it's going to look like at the end of the season. <laughs> we did virtual filming, like filming from home on our own. Yeah. I actually did a whole scene. Yeah. 
Wow. Uh, so when you say they are testing you every, are you talking about the swab test or are they just temperature ask. test? Mm-hmm. The swab every yeah, other day. Yeah, like, yeah. Was, Your yeah, nose must be pissed. Seriously. <laughs> it's oh, horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I think Addie's nose is more pissed than mine. She's like, why do I have to do this? And my mom was trying to help her before I left because I was, you know, trying to get to, to do this podcast, get better Wi-Fi. And she was, my mom accidentally did it. She's like, ah! <laughs> she was so pissed, <laughs> but she wants to do it. But then she screams when she does it. Oh Funny. lord! Oh man, that is insane. So, what are some of the biggest positive surprises for you that have uh, having done the MTV shows, still being a part of it, that that have really come for for you for the girls? Um, I, I mean, I think it's brought a lot of opportunities into our life, and again. My passion purpose is really to help others make a difference with the platform, however that may be. That will always be my goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think I'm, I, I have that, like I have that foundation to, to do that. Uh, so many followers on Instagram, like I, I have that reach to mm-hmm. really make that difference. And so that's, that was my end goal. And I feel like that's, I mean, I, I continue to accomplish, continue to succeed that. By all means, I didn't realize going through all the obstacles and challenges with addiction and all the adversity that I, you know, I faced over time would lead me here. I kept saying, like, if I just make a difference in one person's life, that's all that matters. I've said it since 17 and pregnant, thinking a young girl getting pregnant at 17, 16 years old. But now it's like, no, I'm really saving lives. Mm. I'm really allowing others to own their stories, own their struggle with addiction and get the help that they deserve. And that's that's really saving a life. And for, for me, I feel accomplished. Like I, I really, that's all I aspire to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. I love it. And, and, and Hey, same with us, you know, you, you think, you Hey, can we help just one person? And then, you know, you start getting the DMS of, Oh, I've, you know, I've got a family member. They're listening to it now. And you had one of their favorite celebrities on, or just a person that sounded just like them from down the street. And, you know, you start to hear of these transformative powers of, again, throwing away the shame, throwing away the guilt, throwing away the stigma, and just getting the word out there. Yes. And the stigma against addiction. Yeah. So how long now have you been sober? I have been sober since I went to the treatment facility uh, in 2015. Okay. And I since then, I, I, I really made my mind up. I really made it. It's so easy to relapse, and I understand, but for me, it was my daughter's, uh, you know, hope, grace, faith. Like that was, that was it. I, I knew that I, I wanted to get clean. I knew it was going to be hard. I knew the road to recovery was going to be, diff- you know, it was going to be challenging. Yeah. But uh, making your mind up and really accepting that and, and moving forward, that that was that was me. What when, were you like? Oh, geez, I shouldn't be here, or like I don't need this, or were you just fully in? Because when I went in, I was just like, fuck. Like I was pissed. I went in mm-hmm. with a chip on my shoulder, just, you know, trying to do anything I possibly could to just get kicked out. So I didn't need to be there. Ultimately, it was for the best and whatnot, of course. But what were you feeling when you first walked through the doors? I just started writing about this, by the way, you guys. Um, <laughs> awesome. Oh, sh- should we wait for yeah. the book? <laughs> you're fine. No, you're fine. <laughs> we got the exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> you heard it first here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So the, I actually went to the facility, the treatment facility, the first time, or twice, twice. Mm-hmm. The first time uh, I went there, the emergency custody was filed of, of my daughters, the twins. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, that. nope, I'm going back home. I'm going back home. 
So I told Larry, the executive producer, nope, I'm going home. Take me home. I want to go back to the airport. Got to the airport, went home, had a conversation with my attorney, my management. And that they were like, Leah, you, you got to go back. You know, I was, I was like, no, like I, I had to stay and fight for my kids. My mom was also at that time saying, if you get your kids taken away, then I'll never forgive you. And it was just like, it was, it was very challenging. It was a very challenging decision to make. Yeah. Um, I was going through a divorce also at that time with my second husband. And all of that was, I actually divorced in the treatment facility, oh, but goodness. yeah, uh, I came back home and then turned around and went back. I was like, okay, this is it. I, I was suicidal. I was like, I just want to end my life. I want this to be over and went back. But going into the treatment facility, I was so anxious. I was so anxious. I, I could barely talk to the admissions administrator <laughs> and it was, it was difficult. I, I felt like I was choking up. I didn't want to, I was just very, very anxious. And then when they were going through my stuff and in the triage, I just saw the most vulnerable people. And I get so emotional because I mean, they were just incredible. And it was like, we were all like band together, going through all of this together, wanting to, you know, to just be better versions of ourselves yeah, and, yeah. and, and really get, get past our, you know, the, the act of addiction and, and get on our road to recovery. And so many people that even I was in the, in the small triage area with, have have relapsed and oh I don't know it's yeah. just devastating it's hard it's mm -hmm. difficult and that's why we need support that's why we need support yeah yeah and and but yeah going into the treatment facility was very difficult I mean it was like I, I didn't know what to say I didn't know what to do I, I was definitely angry I was scared I knew it was coming withdrawal is and detox is, yeah. is difficult sure like you know you're gonna sweat you know you're gonna you, you don't know how your body's gonna respond you know you're gonna get that ugh you know what I mean? It's just like clammy skin, all of it. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't know what, I know you're hooked on prescription pills. Was it just opioids or was it several kinds of pills? Yeah, it was, um, it was opioids, okay. uh, hydrocodone and Percocet mm. is what they sent me home on. And I, I mean, from there I started taking up Hannah's and Oxycontin, like all of it. I mean, I was, I was buying ridiculous amounts of prescription medication. What was the amount uh, of usage daily at your peak? Do you recall? I don't even recall. Oh, goodness. I don't even recall, but I remember it leading into me, you know, smoking the pills. Um, it, it led me to try heroin. Um, so many other things simply by being prescribed it. Yeah. Led into all of this yeah. by, by a, a doctor that we're supposed to trust. Yeah. Just yeah, and I, I, and I don't want to get too far. I have yet to though meet anyone that says, um, "Yeah, I take opioids and it's really helped me, and I've been able to just stop them and I'm better." Mm, I haven't either. Yeah, my grandma is my grandma is actively addicted to the prescription prescribed to her, and which same way my dad became, you know, became actively in addiction yeah. and his addiction um, broke his back on a job site, and it was ninety five. Um, and from there he's been on prescription medication and it's just like, it's never enough. It's yeah. never, it, it, it's like, you're constantly chasing that, that high or, you know, that medication because it's a five milligram. It's the same as a 10 milligram, your body adjusts, you know, to that. So, yeah. Yeah. No, it is incredibly frightening. I remember 
after I had a, a minor surgery, I got prescribed uh, an opioid, and and I was like, nope, I'm good, I'll be fine. Dumped them down the yeah. down the drain. So it's so uh, it's crazy. I've definitely had it on my side of my family, and one family member for sure that is not here because of the opioid crisis. And um, you know, I just don't. Uh, I don't know. Have you thought about any sort of advocacy or spoken with others? It's like not only do we have to stop the crisis of people having addiction to opioids, but are they really serving a purpose? I think we're terminally ill people. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. yeah maybe. I can see that. Um, but I, I just don't feel like it should be prescribed to just anyone and everyone for a small headache or a back pain or. And by all means, I am no metal, medical expert, but it's if it's highly addictive, there are so many holistic routes. I I don't even like, I'm funny about taking Tylenol now. Uh, they want me to have surgery to remove a tumor. And I was like, no, oh, I'm not doing it. I'm not, you know what I mean? I was just, it, that's the anxiety that came up from my personal experience with addiction and be, being prescribed the medication. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, and I know for me, because I do suffer from a lot of, a lot of back issues and stuff like that. And, and, um, you know, I found that, you know, when my addiction, in addition to trauma and, and the troubles within, within my marriage is that, um, you know, my drinking started to take off, not only to manage some of the emotional and mental stuff, but the physical pain as well. Mm. And so for, for me, I couldn't imagine and thank goodness I never did start taking those pills uh, that I, I, it was a form of oxy. I can't remember what it was. I know there's so many different derivatives and names that I just, for whatever reason, didn't. And, um, you know, cause it's, it's troubling to see. It really is when yeah. people start to go downhill. Um, we've had Pete, several people on that were very powerful individuals and it took them down to nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Me. Yeah. Yeah. So who are some of the other folks that, um, uh, as far as professionals, when it comes to the show, did you work with, with any, you know, I know Dr. Drew had a hand in some of the stuff early on with MTV, but were there any other doctors that came through that were, uh, as it relates to either addiction or psychologically about some of the things going on in your life as well? No, no, yeah. not, not around that time. I mean, they, they definitely, I was in, uh, my family doctor put me on that diaz- diazepam, yeah. which was like an anxiety medication, which then just made it worse. Then I was nodding off on TV. Oh, Lord. Um, you know what I mean? Not actually getting the help for the other medication I was on. It was, let me give you some more medication. Right. Yeah. So if you want to know why I'm against it, that's <laughs> like, no more medication. <laughs> You're like, good medication. Uh, yeah, I can see why it even spike you for, uh, for you know, hey, there's a tumor. We need to remove it. Mm, I don't know about that. No, nope, um, just leave it. Yeah. No, nope, not going under. Oh, not goodness doing gracious. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm going to, but I don't want prescribed anything. You know, I, 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 I'll be fine. Yeah. I, I just want ibuprofen. I would take something like that. Nothing else. Don't give me anything else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we hope that, that uh, it is nothing major and that it goes smooth and everything else. So, we, you know, thank definitely you in our positive energy for that. Mike, is there anything yeah. else you want to ask Miss uh, Miss Leah before we jump into some rapid questions? I think we covered it all. You ready for these? Just some fire off some questions for you. I think so. All right. These Maybe are fun. I don't forget this time. These are meant okay. to be fun. Go if ahead, Mike. You can have okay. dinner with anybody you want. Dead or alive, who would it be and why? Mm, 
um, Matthew McConaughey and his wife. I love them so much. I follow their Instagram. Um, I, I just love their earthy vibe. I love it. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> yeah, we'll just sit there <laughs> and we'll right, play right, some right, bongo. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Leah. Love your show there, dear. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, this is one of my uh, favorite ones is um, if you have could have one superpower, what would it be? Make the world a better place. Gosh, you and Jason have like the same kind of answers. <laughs> I would pick like fly or some shit. And he says to heal people, heal people. you said make the world a better place. Okay, fine. That's pretty cool though. I take I'll away. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to I'll take away flying or teleportation. And you know what? I'll, I'll pit heal people too. <laughs> In saying that, Leah, do you think that you, through everything you've been through, and, and this is something that I've found common that addicts have said, is it they're empaths of sort? That just through all the traumas and adversities that you have such a huge amount of empathy? Yes, I'm definitely an empathist, 100%. Yeah, feel everything super, super deep, super emotional, sensitive, emotional, like, but I, I, I can feel those things, but not allow them to take control. You know what I mean? Like, we, yeah. we get to feel those emotions, but not sometimes. Yeah, I've had to learn to regulate that. I mean, and prior to us recording, I was going to ask you about the boundaries process because, you know, you've obviously gone through addiction and sexual trauma. How did you find um, the skill sets to start establishing boundaries with people and yourself, really? Uh, I had to be okay with being alone first. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, I had to create boundaries around toxic family members. And creating boundaries meant that I didn't see them for couple of years after I came home from treatment. I, I, I actually was aware of, of the toxicity when I came home. I was like, this is not good for me. Mm -hmm. They wanted me to go to a sober living. I could, I just, that wasn't an option for me. I had children to get back right, home to. Right, right. Um, but when I came home and I realized like this environment is still toxic, that's when I kind of started trans transitioning. I was like, this is when I need to, this is where I need to create healthy boundaries. Not just, you know, it, it was for me, not just for my kids, but for myself, yeah. Um, and my growth and my road, my journey in recovery. So I, I bought a home a little ways out, away from everyone, and we, <laughs> we, we, we have made it work. And That's I, awesome. yeah. Well, and I think it's such a, an important thing to get out there because I'm sure you know there's a, a lot of, um, you know, your fans that hopefully will listen to this podcast that that I think this is the first real opportunity I've had to talk with someone how important that is to establish that um, when you go through that kind of a trauma, because oftentimes we we reenact a trauma. So if it's sexual trauma, we, we, we're looking mm -hmm. for a connection there that is something pure and positive, and we don't realize the way to do it or to gain it is to withdraw for a while and, and gain our self, sense of self and you know a self-awareness, self-protection. Yes, and that's exactly what I've done. Yeah. Yes, you said that great. Awesome. All right, Mikey, what do you got? What are your pet peeves? Or if if any, but what okay, are some I really do. I, I do not like toothpaste being left in the sink bowl or like, or like the bathroom. Oh, like a little chunk or something sink. falls off in there? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Or the 
spit all over the mirror. <laughs> if you have kids, you understand. <laughs> yes, because like, you've been in my kids' Or bathroom. not flushing the toilet. That is terrible. Please flush the damn toilet. Like, who doesn't do that? My kids, nephews, they, they don't. don't. Do my nephews don't yeah. flush the toilet at all. Every time I'm there, it's just like, okay, all right. Yeah. Well, why would I expect there to be, you know, no pee or anything in here? Oh, no, yeah. you get a little boy. Sometimes you get the number two left in there, too. Well, I'm just like, how come you didn't flush? Because I didn't poo. I'm like, what the hell does that have to do with anything? <laughs> oh, shit. Um, uh, I, pay, I pay the water bill. Flush the toilet, please. That's right. That's right. Um, if a movie was made of your life, um, who do you would you want to play you? This is my favorite question. Oh, Jennifer Garner. Oh, that's oh, a good yeah. one. That'd be a good one. Why her? She uh, she was actually just in West Virginia. She's a native West Virginian. Oh, okay. Um, she was born in Texas and grew up here. And I've, I I just, again, I watch her on social media. I love everything that she does as far as, like, for kids and making sure, you know, they have healthy food choices. And I don't know. I look up to her in a lot of ways. Who is your biggest inspiration or mentor in life? My, probably my self and my manager she's mm-hmm. been basically she's mm-hmm. been like the only person i had for a really yeah ever sure. ever honestly yeah so that yeah. must that must be a really um rewarding thing to not only have someone like that that you, that you work with but they've looked out for you and and almost maybe like a mother figure too that you could have mm-hmm. ultimate trust with for so long she said i'm your momager she sent me <laughs> clothes um to arizona when I needed, you know, when I was in the treatment facility, she sent me clothes there um, and like products and things like that. So it was, it was really nice. It was really, I, I'm really grateful for her. Yeah, absolutely. LaChance, wrap it up with the final one here, Miss Leah. What do you think uh, so far at this point in your life is your greatest achievement? Recovery. Recovery yeah. is my greatest achievement. And, and, and the life that I'm living now and, and thriving, like that's, I've never felt so great. Not even as a child. Yeah. I've never felt so great. So just, yeah. Good for it. you. That's incredible. We're happy to hear that for sure. Yeah. We'd love to hear Thank it and you. see it. And, um, and it, you know, you mentioned some interesting stuff about Jennifer Gardner. So I, it sounds to me like for you as a mom, total shift away from maybe how childhood was for you with feeding the kids good, healthy food and, you know, discipline. Here you are giving me advice. That screen time, Jason, get on that shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes no that's it like I, I i wanted to be that foundation for my children and even growing up in split homes i thought that i had failed them initially and you know but but i haven't they have such a health i have great relationships with both of their fathers and we I, they have that foundation mm-hmm. and i'm i'm just i'm proud of myself i i'm so happy for them they're already like i always wanted them to be better than i was but man, like they're going to soar past me. Like they're going to do great things. Awesome. I, I feel good about it. Oh, we love it. Well, Miss Leah, is there anything else you might want to tell the, the listeners uh, of the podcast about um, recovery and uh, any of the other struggles that, that folks go through in adversity? Mm, I don't think so. I think just love yourself. Be easy on yourself. Um, we all make mistakes. We all have challenges. That's perfectly okay. They define us and make us exactly who we are mm-hmm. wouldn't be who we are without them yeah uh right. other than that no thank you guys so much for having me on here it's been an honor Absolutely. It really has i like you guys thank awesome. you for taking the, the time podcast i've been on <laughs> well, I didn't know yeah. what to expect. 
<laughs> well, we love hearing that. That's great. Yeah, that's, that's like, woo, okay, we're doing something well. All yeah. right, do you have some oh. talent. But uh, <laughs> no, thank you very much. And yeah, please, let's uh, let's let's keep in touch and any of the kind of things and continue with the positive messages that we can just, just put out there. And who knows if this crazy shit opens up at some point and you're out here on the West Coast or somehow we end up in West Virginia, you know, it'd be a pleasure West to just, just meet you and break bread. And, um, you know, I'm we really are. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I like you, Leah. I like you. We like you too. Like you. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I'll just be Matthew McConaughey for you. I'll just sit, we'll just sit at the dinner and I'll just, uh, hi, Leah. Ha, 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 ha. Perfect. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Miss right. Leah. We appreciate your time. Continue doing great. All right. All right. You guys too. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Leah. <laughs> Bye. 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 Take care. Knocking doors down. Real people. Real stories. Real life. Real discussions of life struggles, including addiction, relationships, finances, and more. But even more importantly, living with them, overcoming them, and conquering them. Celebrities, experts, and everyday people talk about how they were able to break through whatever life handed them by knocking doors down. New podcast episodes are available every Thursday. Subscribe now on the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio app, or at kddmediacompany.com. Miss Leah Messer. She's dope. Yeah, she's she was. so dope. And you know, like we had said before with the past episode of Luke Walla and her, the, the this addiction came from taking it as prescribed by the doctor. It wasn't like you're just out partying and you wanted to have a good time. Like yeah. that's how intense this addiction can be. You know, you're taking it for pain and then all of a sudden your body starts to rely on it and you're just doing what you're told. Yeah. You know, take what one two three times a day or as needed and you know if you're in a lot of pain you're gonna take it because you obviously don't want to be and then before you know it you're hooked and it's just really unfortunate but luckily for her she acknowledged it and she fixed it so again hats off to her absolutely and of course uh, also you know having a child that uh, is special needs as well and so the strength that that takes to to be there and and help your child um you know, people go, oh, as, you know, a normal life as possible. Well, that's just her norm. Mm-hmm. And so making her norm a, a thing of where she can have coping skills and everything else. So it's really extraordinary of her as a mother, you know, to to face that challenge because I couldn't imagine. And, you know, I do watch that show and that her child with muscular dystrophy, she does look happy. She yeah. looks happy as hell. She's adorable. I mean, all of her kids are adorable, but it's, yeah, that's what she knows. So yeah. she really is a sweet little kid. Yeah. Have you seen it? She really is. Oh, just I saw the pictures yeah. of her. Yeah, yeah, she is. Absolutely. Well, we thank you guys for listening. Of course, don't forget to get the gear. What gear are we talking about? Well, 5150 LTM. You can go to 5150LTM.com. Get the same gear that um, you know Mikey and I are wearing. We couldn't do this podcast without them, and uh, what it represents is everything that Knocking Doors Down does as well. You know, take your adversities, turn it into your advantage, let your past fuel your future. So that's 5150LTM.com, and don't forget to follow us on social media as well by searching Knocking Doors Down. Don't forget those energy drinks too, man. Five bucks a case, something like that. Tell them how they can get Goodness it. Goodness gracious. Go to 5150LTM.com, click on product. Go to drinks, order a case, go pick it up, have it delivered, what have you. But five bucks a case, you can't beat that. Yeah, special price on those energy drinks now while they last with all the proceeds benefiting the Carlos Vieira Foundation. Anything else, Mikey? That's it. Appreciate you guys. On that note, keep knocking doors down.
The Knockin' Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. This podcast contains the views and opinions of the knocking doors down hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. Privacy is of the utmost importance to us. For those wishing anonymity, people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests. This website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with their content establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page. This podcast is owned by KDD Media Company.